On this second Sunday in Advent, our text of Scripture comes to us from the very first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. I invite you to listen for God's Word as we hear it from the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John, the baptizer, appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, With a leather belt around his waist, he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, as we enter into this season of Advent and as we expect a deeper experience of your presence with us, we ask that you would quiet now within us any voice but your own, that we may hear your word and be not only hearers but doers as well. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. You know, Advent is the season when the church kind of holds its breath in anticipation and expectation of a fresh coming of God into the world. The church's calendar is marked by this expectancy and preparation for the inbreaking of God and for the fulfillment of God's promises. This morning we lit the candle of peace. And it will certainly take a fresh inbreaking of the Prince of Peace to smooth out the rough places in our world and in our lives this year. I mean, this this year has been like no other in recent memory. It's an anxious time. Worried about our health and the country's future, many have made major decisions about their lives. It's an uncertain time with instability in our family lives, our emotional lives, our economic lives, our social lives, even our spiritual lives. I mean, worshiping online virtually is wonderful, but it just doesn't feel the same as previous celebrations of Advent and Christmas. And as the year draws to a close, there's a desire to see all of this in the rearview mirror and to get on with our lives and get back to normal. Our hope may be in a vaccine to end this pandemic, but that's quite a different kind of hope than the hope of Advent. Look, we need some good news, just as they did in the first century. They also were facing one crisis after another. In the year 70, in the Common Era, was like no other. People were divided. 
Some radical Jews revolted against the government. Jerusalem was under siege. The temple was destroyed. Some hoped for leaders who would rise up and push the infidel Romans from the holy city. Others were urging submission for the sake of security and peace. Everyone was anxious, caught somewhere between the heavy-handed soldiers and the extremist guerrillas. The emperor Nero died, and four different contenders were acclaimed as emperor only to be assassinated. And now Vespasian, the very general who was besieging Jerusalem, was crowned. What will that mean for the country? You see, things could not be more uncertain. Tensions abounded between Jews and Gentiles. Families were fracturing along ethnic lines. And into this boiling cauldron, one group of believers is proclaiming good news. That God has acted to fulfill the promised coming of the Messiah in Jesus Christ. A Savior who had died almost 40 years earlier, but did not stay dead. Mark's gospel begins so differently than the others, than the other three gospels in the New Testament. It begins in the wilderness, simply proclaiming the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's really nothing of the theatrical birth narratives of Matthew and Luke that we celebrate at Christmas with hosts of angels singing bright lights in the night sky and shepherds and wise men gathering to witness the arrival. There's no attempt to connect this beginning, this birth, to the beginning of all creation like in John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No, none of that. There's just very little fanfare in this text. Mark begins with a sentence that almost sounds like it's the heading or the title. Some biblical scholars even describe this gospel as, quote, a passion narrative with a long introduction. And that introduction begins with this quick turn to a story about another messenger, John the Baptist, in the wilderness. And it seems to me that's where we find ourselves in this season, at this time, this morning, in the wilderness. So maybe it's fitting that today we should consider how good news can begin in the wilderness. You know, it almost appears as if this good news begins with the forerunners of Jesus. Kind of like the handing of a baton in a relay race. God is acting in human history as in the past and as promised, as Isaiah foretold it. John the Baptist proclaimed it. And this baton comes from Elijah through Isaiah to John the Baptist and then to Jesus. You know, there's a story I heard years ago and I've never forgotten about a 
newly elected CEO who met with his predecessor for the first time in his new office. And on the desk were three envelopes, numbered one, two, and three. The former CEO instructed the newly elected CEO to open the envelopes one at a time in sequence, but only when there was some crisis that he didn't know how to handle. Well, things went along very well in the first year, so the letters remained unopened, but soon the company found itself with a liquidity crisis. As instructed, the CEO carefully opened the first envelope, and it read simply, blame it on your predecessor. And so the CEO blamed the problem on his former CEO, his, his predecessor. It worked beautifully. Everything came together. They emerged from that crisis all right. And things went along fine for a little while longer, a couple more years. And then another crisis developed with a power struggle that was so difficult, the CEO turned once again to the envelopes and opened the second letter. And it read simply, restructure. So the CEO began to a complete restructuring of the company, combining departments, creating new ones, changing reporting and supervisory roles, and it worked beautifully again. The company survived and was able to prosper. Then just a year or two later, a third unmanageable crisis occurred with the board. And so the CEO opened the third letter, and it read simply, prepare three letters. Now, I've never forgotten that story. It reminds me, not any one of us is indispensable. All of us have forerunners and successors. We may want to think that history began when we arrived on the job or on the scene, but the fact is each one of us carry the baton only for a limited time and then it's someone else's turn who runs the next leg of the relay. Even Jesus had forerunners preparing the way for him. Now, I'm certainly feeling a little bit these days as retirement approaches like it's time for me to prepare three envelopes. And this year, reading about John the Baptist, I can relate to his message. The one coming after me is more powerful than I. Several years ago, while traveling in the south of France, our family visited the Unterlinden Museum in Colmar, France. As we walked from room to room and painting to painting, periodically our docent would ask our little group if we could describe the subject matter captured by the artist. And she seemed surprised every time someone was able to identify a biblical character in a painting or sculpture. We approached a famous altarpiece known by many simply as the Grunewald, but also called the Eisenheim altarpiece. It was probably painted around 1515, so over 500 years ago. And it's especially treasured by the Germans who visit that museum in large numbers every year. When our guide asked, who's the man in the robe holding the book in his left hand and pointing with his right index finger, I immediately replied, well, that's John the Baptist. She looked astonished. She asked further, what makes you say that? To which I replied, well, he's dressed in the rough clothing of the wilderness. 
He's holding the scriptures. It's probably open to the prophet Isaiah. And he's pointing towards the Lord. Her surprise that I could identify John the Baptist was matched by my surprise that apparently the average visitor to the museum has so forgotten how to interpret their own art because they're no longer familiar with the biblical stories that inspired it. By the way, uh, the picture that you've seen as I've been preaching here was given to me by Reverend Ralph Hamburger, who was German, and he copied it for me after hearing me tell this story. See, Christian faith and art history remember John the Baptist because he reawakened hope in the promises of God. And he called people to repent from their hopelessness. And he did it in the midst of the wilderness. He called them to turn from their sins and take God seriously again. And Christian hope is envisioned in the midst of present adversity by those who catch a glimpse of what by faith can yet happen. It's not based on the possibilities inherent in the situation. It's based upon the promise of God. And according to the New Testament and the book of Hebrews, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Hope believes that a new beginning will emerge by God's faithfulness even in the midst of whatever mess we happen to be in. It's the belief that even in this God-forsaken situation, in this wilderness, a new beginning will emerge. And so we must continue to live faithfully through adversity, trusting in the Lord. Hope. We often think of hope as nothing more than something to look forward to, like a trip to Europe or a a Christmas homecoming, or a new arrival in the family. But all of those things assume that in due course, what we want will come about. In truth, hoping for what we want is really more akin to wishing than anything else. Or even setting some kind of a goal. Not an unimportant activity, but it's not hope. No, this... This kind of hope is hoping for more than we have ever known. Hope begins not apart from reality, but embedded in it. Every day, hope begins with the all-too-vivid reminder that we cannot do this ourselves. We cannot wave a magic wand of peace. We cannot make things right. It begins daily in defeat. That's where faith and hope and love always begin every day. And that is how they become so powerful. You see, people like us may find it easy to fall under the illusion that we can get by with mere wishing. 
that if we wish hard enough and work hard enough, we'll preserve our own lives, we'll be our own saviors, we'll succeed. And often we're right. We do succeed in a way. In fact, Jesus says we have our reward. But we lose hope. Who can straighten out this mess that our world has become? I mean, we dare not be naive about the world. It's broken. It's twisted. Sometimes it's a remarkably violent place. Faith understands that. Our hope is not based on the way the world is, but what, by God's grace, it will become. And the church points to her Lord with hope and confidence that a new beginning will emerge because of God's faithfulness. Just like John the Baptist in the Grunewald altarpiece pointing towards a loving Savior. Every so often, once in a while, the ordinary becomes the bearer of something extraordinary. John the Baptist was a nobody living in the wilderness to whom the word of the Lord came. And every year at this time of year, we read about John the Baptist, this prophet, who prepared the way of the Lord. God is coming to straighten out what is crooked and twisted in human life. John's message was simple. Judgment is approaching. Repent and be baptized. Embrace your God-given responsibilities before it's too late. The Almighty and the everlasting God has come and is coming to help us most where we can help ourselves least. Where we are broken and powerless against forces within us and forces around us, God is making a straight way through our wilderness. Now, many of us long for a different experience of life. The world around us and the world within us just seems to get so twisted into grotesque forms, distorting human life, distorting community into destructive patterns. But there's a new beginning by God's grace. A beginning that began long ago in a quiet and unremarkable place. And it just seemed that the entire creation held its breath. And ever since, people have found new beginnings within themselves. And it's affected how they lived with others around them. And all of it was centered in this one, Jesus the Christ. Friends, in another wilderness long ago, the people of God began a journey from slavery toward the land of promise. And the Lord fed them with manna from heaven to sustain them on the journey. Jesus, reenacting that meal with his disciples, 
fed them with new hope for a future that belongs to God. You see, every so often, the ordinary becomes the bearer of something extraordinary. And so, this morning, we come to the Lord's table. And we approach a sacred meal to be nourished in that same hope. We come as people of faith. With the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So let us come to the Lord's table. That we may receive from the Lord that which nourishes and satisfies human life. And launches us again in the advent of new beginnings with Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.